Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, we're going to talk about non-traditional paths to product management, both the road for your own career and the road for companies new to having product teams. And helping us do this is Dan Aline, Product Management at Ivy Charging Network, former Deloitte consultant and all-around great guy. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. All right, Dan, let's talk about this. You always start asking people sort of about their background and how they got where they are. And I think we're going to dig a little deeper in this as we go through that, right? Because I think, you know, your path to product management is different than a lot of people's. But I have to tell you in doing this all the time, a lot of people's path to product management feels accidental or, you know, a good accident, right? But let's talk (laughs) a little bit about your history and how you got into product management and why. Yeah, absolutely. That really seems to be the trend. As many people who are intentionally in this space, I feel like I'm not alone here in that woke up and one day you are accidentally in this role or you're surrounded by people who are looking to you to fill this role. So yeah, I've had a really fun and winding journey to get where I am today, starting way back when in my times at Deloitte, where I think we always had an opportunity to get close to our customers' product and and support lots of client organizations. But also as an organization, we had our own products and frameworks. So it was every single chance I could staying close to the people who own those products, who manage those products, and immediately gravitating towards them. They just seemed like fun people. They had fun ways of approaching problems. And I knew I wanted to be their friends. So that was that was where it really started for me. I got exposure to it very early on. And ever since then, I've been trying to just find more opportunities to learn about product. I think that that is what you talk about there is a, a common trait and really good product managers. It's just like an endless sense of curiosity, right? And you're like, those people had a good way of thinking. I was curious about how they did it. It looked like fun. Like that is a whole lot of what we do in product is be curious about ourselves, the company, right? I'm like one of those, you put me in a car. It's like, it's a new car I've never been in. I'm like, what does this button do? What does this do? Like, don't put me in something with like an eject button. Cause I like, I'm like, I'm always playing with everything. Same thing. I start a new company and I start a new, a new career, a new company. I want to know how it works, right? I want to know how the product works. I want to know how the organization thinks. And I think that that's a very common 
trait for product managers. And one of the ones that's just really, really important, one of those critical skills. And I think it's your curiosity that kind of got you there in the first place. Yes? Absolutely. It certainly feels like that. I think the curiosity is definitely one of the pieces. I think to your anecdote is highly relatable. It's also, I just want to hopefully click every button and then I'll know very quickly if I made a mistake. I'll know very quickly <laughs> if I took this product or this experience in the wrong direction. And I'm sure that's partially due to just very thoughtful product design and other people who set that out. But I... I just really, really enjoy that. And I think that took me to my to my next leap when I joined a team who was able to traditionally a, a software company, very much a product organization, but they had been around since the late 90s. So before there was any idea of how to build a product organization, they got to just see it organically grow in front of them. And now they've got a massive product organization that I had a chance to collaborate with on a, on a regular basis. So much so that I played de facto product manager there for a few months while we were backfilling a role. And I think that was one of those moments where it wasn't necessarily an interview, but I happened to be close by. I happened to be very invested in the success of a new opportunity. And before I knew it, I don't, I suppose it was maybe a hint of curiosity. Maybe it was a hint of some of the ways uh, or some of the learnings that I had had from my previous roles. But as a group and as a room, we had kind of decided that until we hired that product manager in three to four months, can you put up your hand and just kind of make sure that this ship keeps on running? And that just ended up being such a massive learning experience for me. Everyone was extremely patient. Everyone was extremely nice. But I just had so many frameworks, ideas, and, and just things that I wanted to try. And luckily, they created an environment where that, where I was able to do that. Nice. And I think you'd been a product owner there, yes? Yeah, absolutely. So it started in just owning the product, making sure that we were able to primarily take it to market, and then bled the lines it, as it often does of what yeah. a company thinks of as a product owner versus a product manager versus a product leader. So that was a little bit of an identity crisis for myself. I, I didn't know what to call myself, what to refer to myself as. And it was really helpful to have online resources, frameworks, people who had done this before to help me organize my thinking and, and help me self-identify as to what that could look like. That's awesome. And to your point, because they you were sort of I mean, doing a favor is maybe too strong a word, but since they kind of pushed you to do the acting piece, it is a really safe environment to learn the product manager role and to kind of stretch your your wings there. So um, I think that's a that's a really fun way of doing it. Absolutely. I, so one of the things is we talk about people's different paths into product, right? And that they're often very, very varied and they can seem sort of accidental. With that sometimes comes the feeling that maybe you don't belong, right? Imposter syndrome. Like, I don't know, I wasn't classically trained like all the other product managers. Maybe this is not, I don't really belong here. Did you ever struggle mm -hmm. with that? Do you have any thoughts about that? Absolutely. Still to this very day, I think okay. there's... Um... Oh, good. It's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's one of those one of those nagging feelings that I kind of hope doesn't go away. I want to use this. I want to be able to capture and bottle it and, and use it to help drive that curiosity. Because I think if I've really learned one thing that that comes from this is that I I think having that feeling of imposter syndrome that you reference, but it, it just is it's gives me the ability to to want to 
prove myself, to continue mm. to learn, to keep that curiosity. And, and that really is, uh, it's a surprise. I, I think people talk about it in all sorts of contexts, frameworks, personal, professional, but it just seems to, to really feed that curiosity. Yeah, it does. It keeps you on your toes too, right? I also think it, it helps us to some ways remember to be market and data driven because that way it's not that like, I, that's where I'm going to find the truth. And that's also the truth that I can use to, to kind of, for lack of a better word, convince others, right? It's not Dan or Rebecca says we should do this. It's like, here's what the market's saying. Here's what the data is showing. That gives me confidence. And that confidence absolutely, not only does it change the way I present out, but that data also reinforces the other others that are listening. Absolutely. And maybe one day I'll stumble, I'll wake up out of bed and fall on the floor and I'll realize like, oh my gosh, I'm, I am, I am what I, I say am. I am. I am what my LinkedIn <laughs> profile says. I am that good. I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we should all be that strong, right? All right. So you spent some time sort of like, this is your path in and you were the first time product manager and you learned. And what I think is interesting is that now in the current role, if I'm correct, right, you joined a company that didn't really have a product function that was fully developed. So you got to be like the newbie who was learning and now you're going to bring an organization along. And that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. I think that was the just such an exciting moment for me. It, it came through from the, the first interview. Some of those experiences that I had learned was about the principles of product management, the ability to take products to market, the ability to better know your customer, to try lots of prototypes, all of these activities that I, again, was still searching for the right way to capture all of those and refer to those. But it came through in the stories for this for the interview of my current role. I got there very quickly. I was tasked with helping to take a product to market and find interested parties and channels in which to sell it. And I got there on day one and I realized that we have so many opportunities. People are going to love this. I, I just assumed that the demand was guaranteed. Why would someone not pick this? However, we still had a big journey, not only to, to take it to market, but to build the first concept. It was nothing but a whiteboard drawing and a few developers standing by. So very quickly after trying to think about partnerships and trying to think about all the ways in which everybody's going to love our product, I'd say it, it kind of hit me four to six weeks in that we really need to focus on building the product. We need to have something to put in front of them. We need to give them some confidence that this isn't the first time we're doing it. And as much as I want to spend time shouting from the rooftops that everyone's going to love this and gosh, you should be our partner, I deep down just knew that we needed to spend a little bit more time internally. And that's when I had the chance to sit down with my team and very quickly realized that we want to be a product organization. We want to launch this product, but we have no frameworks in place to do that. We don't have the resources in place. And for my organization at the time, they thought that, product management would just come through the sales and organically through the marketing. And it was a really fun journey for me to be able to go through and share some of the benefits that I'd seen in other organizations and transition my role, not only in taking the product to market, but to, to lead and manage that, which has been what's taken up the last six months of my life as I've not only launched one of our main 
features of the product and, and taking it to market, but also I'm in the process of iterating a few additional aspects to launch to new segments and into new markets. So it's been a it's it's been an amazing journey, but not only for myself, but as an organization to go back to the basics as to why this matters to them and how this can ultimately better serve the business's outcomes and aligning that with the interests, the pains, the needs, the wants of our customers. Because I think one of the the things that you really wanted to do is help them be more outside in, right? Really focused on market research and understanding. And I, you know, we're at Pragmatic. That is the right thing to do. But but there are definitely, like if it's new to the organization, there is some convincing required, especially as mm-hmm. it can feel like it's costing time. Talk to me a little bit about how you got the organization on board to take the time and do the investment to get some of that fresh market information and research in. Absolutely. I'd love to say it was a light switch. We sat around in a room, we had some sticky notes, and all of a sudden, everyone was immediately on board that this was the right path forward. <laughs> Fortunately, it didn't quite end up that didn't way. Go that it, way. Was, hmm. it was a journey. It was, it was one of those journeys that I grew to love. It took time. It took people on the team to, to have trust. It took vulnerability to put up their hands and say, I'm less familiar with this. Can we, can we strip away some of this jargon? What does this actually mean to me? How is this going to impact my business function? How are we going to interact? How does this change? And there was so much unknown for the entire organization. And with that, it meant the team putting trust in me that this journey that we were going on was going to ultimately benefit how we work, but also the success that we could have and the bets that we're going to make as a company will be better set up to do that if we can invest this time early. But no, definitely not easy. And I leaned on lots of my peers who had been in the industry for a little bit longer, borrowed a couple of PowerPoints and spent a lot of time digging through their Notion pages to figure out how they do this and, and how they can build this from the ground up and what it looks like a year, two years, five years down the road. The other thing I think with something like this is wanting to show value early, right? It's not like we're going to do this now and in 12 months, you're going to be amazed at what happened, right? Like you want to show value along the way. Are there places that you were able to to bring in some of that market evidence early even in the discussions that helped them see how powerful it could be in forming places? Yeah, it was, uh, it's a really, that, that's a great anecdote actually that came up very early for us was that when the business first began, they needed to make business decisions. They needed to decide how we were going to take this product to market. They had to decide all sorts of things very quickly with limited information. And I'm sure that's unique only to our organization. No one else must feel that way. I was like, what? Who does that? So in this in this non-unique situation where everyone is constantly going to be faced with resource constraints, it was really interesting for me to show up to and see we had done a just-in-time study. We got to know what 500 customers thought in a very quick survey, and we ran a very small pilot based off that information. And then we're ready to go lock ourselves in a room and build this product exactly to spec. And that was very helpful. We, we put this 
on the shelf, this amazing 500 person piece of research that we had done. And we kept on pointing to it as this is going to make the difference. We know exactly the needs of the customers. We know exactly how we're going to build this. They won't know what hit them the second we go to market. And after unlocking that door from that development room and taking this to market, we entered a phase of what I'm calling our our launch and learn, where it very quickly became evident that based on that information, we built a good product, but it didn't hit the need of the customer segments that are primarily in the market today. And it's a great product, but if the market's not there, it doesn't matter. So that launch and learn phase was where we Mm. flipped things on our head and started to spend a little bit more time as, as I've learned to better know your customer. And I've heard once or twice on some of these podcasts, <laughs> nothing important happens in the office. And I think by surrounding myself with advisors, we were able to pull together a research plan that really helped to achieve that. Let's talk about that research plan because, okay, 100%, we believe that. I think our everyone who attends our courses believes that the market evidence is critical I do think sometimes there is intimidation then about like, hey, how do I find the time? How do I build a research plan that gives me good results early and and can be weaved in? But also like that can feel overwhelming, right? Like the I want market evidence and data is steps away from and now I have it because I knew how to do that. And I know you worked with some great people. I know Charles very well. I suspect he helped you because he's really good at this. Uh, Charles Topping is listening. But talk to me a little bit about sort of the research plan and approach and some of the techniques used to get that information fast. Absolutely. We very quickly realized that this was something that while we wanted to run ourselves and we tried to be very independent, we quickly realized that the people who, as the people who had locked ourselves in that room, we had a little bit of bias going into this. We thought we knew the exact features. We thought that we knew the exact user experience that customers wanted. And as we started doing our ad hoc research, it was not giving us the insights that we wanted, or it was leading us off into other directions. So very quickly, we put up our hand and said, let's, let's, let's put up our hand and get help. It's, it's not, it's not a a bad thing. There are experts in this field. And this is with the advice as, as mentioned, Charles Topping, but also we, we had the amazing Martha Malloy who was able to come in and her background, her approach, the recommendations of the peers who shared her, the outcomes that they've seen with her work, immediately we knew that we would have somebody to help us build this and build it the right way. But ultimately, we were so impressed by the approach which she uses, the learnings of Teresa Torres and Mm -hmm. continuous discovery, continuous learning, continuous interview and building a habit out of constantly talking to your customer, which is, I'd say, as close to the binary of what we had done nine months prior of putting this one giant research mm. print together yep. and putting that on the shelf and saying that this is exactly how we need to build. So it was absolutely amazing to, to build that out. I think that's really smart too, right? It's overwhelming. You want answers right now about something specific. You should go get those, but that is not the final answer or the final structure you want to put in place, right? It's you got to get answers right now, but you need to have a continual sort of avenue and process and practice to get fresh information. And when you do have that, it is amazing. So so they helped you build that structure. Now, does your team and, and yourself, do you are you doing the research yourself? Are they doing the research? Or did they help you put the structure in place? Tell me more. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Initially, we had the team pull together all of the questions that we might have internally. What have we been dying to know from our customers? What are all of the hypotheses that we want to test? Just absolute overload. And Martha, our researcher, was able to come in and organize that, distill it into what's really going to be fundamental. How can we better know our customers here? And how can we take out some of the noise and really focus on one, two, three deep research questions and hypotheses that we can start testing? Taking that and having that dialogue first was amazing. And I thought it was going to be extremely difficult to decide on what is the most important question. But by going through the process, by using things like the opportunity solution tree, we were very quickly able to identify what we need to know from customers and what's going to be that you know that keystone research that we're going to need to rely on for this first round. So after identifying that, Martha jumped right in, recruited a whole bunch of participants, discerned that to a whole bunch of tags that we were able to assign to all of these different people so that we could get a representative sample. And we just started talking to customers. Halfway through that, we already wanted to keep on talking to customers about new questions that had come up, but we really wanted to make sure that this research was focused on getting consistent responses from customers across the product lifecycle. And and I guess that's the last piece of advice that really came out of that first round of interviews for me was, it's not just talking to customers. We work in the electric vehicle space and those who are an electric vehicle owner today, I would call an early adopter or a highly motivated tech enthusiast who really wants to get into it. All of the nitty gritty, exactly to your example earlier, you bet they pushed every single button in that car on that touch screen and they've gone to every charger out and about. And it's really exciting to get to know them and their needs, but ah, there's not a lot of EVs on the road yet. There are hmm. way more non-customers or intenders yeah. or anticipated customers and they're the ones who we really need to help with. So balancing out that interview set with not only our current customers or our ideal customers, but those who are yet to start that journey so that we can make sure that this is easy for them. Excellent. All right. So now that you're continuing to do the research, right? Do you have like, do you have yourself, did you given yourself quotas of how often or how frequently? Yes. Let's start with that. Yeah, we have. Aspirationally, we've put in our... One of our key results this quarter is to talk to one customer a week for the entire quarter. Excellent. We have had weeks where we've definitely had more than one discussion with customers. And unfortunately, some weeks where we quite haven't hit that, but we put it down there to be aspirational. Yep. We really, really want to do that and avoid ending up in the same situation as before where months have passed and we hadn't tested anything and we had just gotten so disconnected from the constantly changing needs of our customers and non-customers. So when you're doing these interviews, I have so many questions. I love these things, right? So we're talking about the program once looking, you know, aspirationally for one a week. That's great. Is it just the product team doing these research calls or are they cross-functional or others in the organizations participating? Today, it's primarily the product organization that's uh, participating in these calls. When applicable or as much as we can, we're going to invite an observer from our marketing team and our customer success team to get a little bit closer. But what we've been doing 
knowing that not everybody can be in there. We don't have an overly complex survey or interviewing tool yet where we can have silent observers who aren't known and we don't want to put five people on a call with one customer. So very quickly, we, on the advice of Martha and using one of Teresa Torres's techniques was the interview snapshot. So very quickly, we were grabbing a lot, all sorts of snippets from those interviews. We were grabbing a screenshot of the person to help trigger the memory. And we're sitting there as a team. And every single time we complete one of those interviews, we're going to be sharing that snapshot out on our channels. And everybody has the chance to go in. And we've got really, really good interaction from the team there to see when and if they're ready to go in and review just the responses that they've had and, and the level of inclusion that they're feeling, even if they can't sit there and be on every single call with us. And that was going to be my next question, right? I mean, I think a ride along is great when you can do them, but more than anything, I think it's how are you keeping a, getting the information and sharing it? And I was just, I was sharing this with one of my product team members because it can be hard. You have done this interview and you have all this depth, right? When you give somebody a synopsis, it comes with for you and a huge amount of sort of 3D empathy and emotions and understanding and depth. And then you give someone else a synopsis and they don't have that, right? It doesn't trigger those things for you. And so when you're giving a lot of research out or you're doing a research readout, it can be frustrating when like the next day they seem like, oh man, they just didn't get it. Did they not hear me? Did they not listen? And it really is, how do you make it feel real to them? Which I think is why like the pictures quotes where they hear it themselves can be like snippets where they can hear themselves are really, Mm -hmm. really powerful to turn to help spread the understanding around the organization. They'll never have the depth and that's fine. That's what our role is, right? But they'll have, they'll start to be able to pull on some of that same sort of deep understanding to make decisions and use that guidance within their own work, which is truly what we want. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure when we are in a call, not specific to anything that that I've started or one of our you know weekly standups and in the middle of that somebody else brings up well remember that chat that we had with Wendy mm-hmm. remember what Wendy was sharing here and remember why that really had an, a, a reaction for Wendy and it I mean obviously love using those examples but I I was beaming I, I couldn't even hear the rest of the words because I was just so happy that people were taking the time to engage with these work products and saw the value in them. And then when they mention it, not only is it a great feeling for you, but it also encourages others in there to listen to it in a way that can be hard when when we continue to sort of go from the pulpit of why this is important and you should listen, when they can hear it from others and other peers too, that really, really helps. Like, oh, it's worth watching those snippets because, you know, someone else saw what Wendy did. Absolutely. All right, Dan. We talked about a lot of different things today. So if you were going to do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? I think for me, this has been one of the things that I've learned very quickly in my last role. And one of the things that I had to, again, relearn here is that some of the assumptions that we can make about why our product is going to be so important and how much demand we're going to have we're very quickly going to learn that uh, those assumptions are going to be challenged. They're going to be challenged by our peers. They're going to be challenged by our team and ultimately the customers. And and we'll see that come through at the end of the day in in the sales and uptake. The more time that you can spend getting to know your customer, the better off you are going to be. And whether that's going to be one question surveys that happen to just pop up when customers abandon your site or interacting with your product or deep 45 minute discussions 
with a whole bunch of customers, it's going to be beneficial. And I definitely had the assumption early on that we need to speak to as many customers as possible to get meaningful insights. And I very, very quickly was humbled that even one conversation with one customer can be so impactful to what we can deliver, but also just our confidence as as a product professional to give to the rest of the organization that we're close to their needs and we can help articulate them. Secondly, I'm going to have to go with, we don't know what we don't know. It's the Mm -hmm. other side of the coin of know your customers is know your limitations. I have had such amazing mentors throughout my time in all of these different roles. I've had so many great opportunities where people have given me trust and I built up so many skills and frameworks that I love to leverage and going onto the pragmatic website and using those to help give me structure. And I want to use those every single day. And I realized that there's only so many hours in a day. And as much as I'd love to be able to implement everything and own everything and be involved in every conversation and customer interview, it's okay to ask for help. Yes, There are people who are out there who are professionals in this area who will more than happily help you if it makes sense. But there are also just people who are joining this podcast with all the previous episodes I've had the pleasure of listening to who are giving this advice out. And all you have to do is tune in and share your attention. And I know that's very valuable. So I'm happy that people can share their attention for our conversation today, whether it's that or mentorship. I I think that it's okay to ask for help. And I think that those are definitely the two biggest things that I've learned over the past couple of years. I think not only is it okay to ask for help, I think it's a strength, right? Like it, it can feel like a weakness, like, oh, I should know everything. Nobody knows everything. Nobody has time to do everything. Asking for help is absolutely a strength. And I think one of the wonderful things about being in the product space is there's a lot of people really passionate about it, like really passionate about it. And who, to your point, really would love to share their advice. Like if you reach out and you talk to to people in the space and, and sort of adjacent on the research side, it's a lot of really passionate people that would be thrilled not to, to share their advice and some guidance along the way. Good advice, Dan. Absolutely. All right, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your experiences. It was great having you. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.